Okay, well, so we started a new series last week. Uh, the series is called Five, Following Jesus in the City, uh, Unpacking Our Values. Harbor City Church has five values. And these are the five things that we think are the most important things for you to have and for you to be in your life if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to experience God, and you want to renew our city. These five things we think make the best versions of ourselves for San Diego and beyond. And so last week we talked about our first value. Our first value is that we are gospel-centered, right? That we center our lives around the unbelievable news, the unbelievable news that Jesus is the revelation of God and God is for us. That God loves us, he accepts us, he forgives us, and he even serves us. I mean, it's astonishing when you think about it. Well, today we're gonna to look at our second value. The second value of our church is that we are growing in community. We're growing in community. And so this message is called, we are in this together. We're in this together. And so if you go to our website and click on the about tab at the top, drop down and looks at vision and values. It's got our five values with a brief description. This is what our website says about we are growing in community. It says this, it says we were created for community. We all need relationships that are honest, encouraging, and challenging. So through Sundays, life groups, and discipleship, we experience Jesus in community. We receive and share Jesus, his grace, and his truth with others. And as we experience relationships where people invest in us and in our spiritual growth, we become the kind of people who invest in and care for others. And so we grow in community and we develop to the point where we're able to help minister to others. And so I want to give a quick shout out to our kids. Some of you are here. Some of you are here. It's exciting to see you. Um, those of you who watch online, which probably isn't going to be very many because we're not live, although we will publish this message after when the service is over, we'll publish it on Facebook. Um, but shout out to you. Did you know, kids, did you know that God wants you to have good friends? God wants you to have good friends. God doesn't want you to feel alone ever. He wants you to have people in your life who can help you be the best versions of who you are, right? Sometimes we are in a good place, right? Sometimes we get angry and stuff comes out of us that we're not so excited about. Well, God wants there to be people in your life who bring the best version of who you are out of you. And so this starts out very much as your parents, your family, and then God wants to add friends to your life over time. And these are friends who will help you walk with Jesus because we are in this together. We can't follow God alone. So I want to share a couple of points with you about this, about what it means that we grow in community. And the first point that I want you to know is that we grow in community because Jesus needed community. Okay, Jesus needed community. So we can't follow God alone because, listen to this, Jesus couldn't follow God alone. 
Okay, we need help because Jesus needed help. Now, how can I say this, right? Jesus doesn't need help. Jesus is God, right? Jesus doesn't need anything, right? Jesus has everything. Not according to the Bible. The Bible actually tells us this, that Jesus gathered a community of people because he couldn't do his mission alone. Jesus gathered the 12, you know, the 12 apostles. And then within the 12, Jesus had the three. And this was his community. And so if Jesus needed this, so do we. God designed life around this reality that we are in this together and that applied to Jesus as much as it does to us. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are still trying to protect that Jesus didn't need anything, right? Because he's God. So how could he need anything? And you're thinking, yeah, the 12 and the three, like we get that, but that was just so Jesus could train them, right? Jesus didn't need anything from them. He was just his one way. It was He was pouring into them, pouring into their lives. He had everything. They had nothing. He poured into them. Jesus didn't need anything. Well, I want to talk about that. I'm going to show you some verses that maybe challenge some of that thinking. But before I do that, I want to, when I think about Jesus' 12 and 3, I think about life groups. Like the life groups are like our 12. Life groups are the small groups that we do in our church, gather in homes or gather online with Zoom. And we're there to encourage each other, to help each other to grow. And so I think life groups are a good version for us for to have 12. And then the three of Jesus remind me that we have needs to have few very close relationships where we can be very real and vulnerable. And so, but beyond these relationships, let me share with you some things that were in the, that, that are in the Bible. The Bible teaches us this, right? You'll, you might remember that Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the desert fasting. And during that time, the devil was attacking him. Okay, and so at the end of that time, it says this in Matthew 4, verse 11. Um, this is in your bulletin. It says, then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. You see that? Angels came and were ministering to him. Why does Jesus need ministering to because he can't do it on his own. That's why. That's at the beginning of his ministry. Then at the end of Jesus's ministry, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus went with his disciples to the garden of Gethsemane. And Luke 22 verses 41 to 44 picks up. It says this, and he just did Jesus. He withdrew from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed saying, father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then verse 43, listen to this. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Why does Jesus need strengthening? Because he couldn't do it alone. And neither can we. I mean, do you ever feel like you're at the end of your rope? Jesus gets it. Do you ever feel like you know the right answers? Like you know what you're supposed to do, but you just don't have the strength to do it? 
And then maybe someone like reaches out, like someone that you were thinking about, like calls you or sends you a text. And it just feels like God had this sense that it feels like God knew and he sent this person to you. Have you ever felt just like exhausted and, and then you show up at life group and you find that when you're leaving life group, you feel a little bit lighter than when you walked in? Jesus gets this. An angel appeared from heaven, strengthening him. Verse 44, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus needed strengthening. And then there's this incident at what's called the Mount of Transfiguration. And in the story, Jesus had just revealed that he was going to have to die. He just told his disciples he was going to have to die. And the disciples refused to accept it. They were like, no, forget it. And the leader, Peter, Peter himself was like, no, this is never going to happen to you. And in that moment, I think Jesus realized that he was alone. That the disciples that he had poured his heart and life into for year and year and year, for years, he had poured his life into them. And now all of a sudden, they're not, they don't accept his mission. They're not with him in this, so he's alone. And so when you feel rejected by others, Jesus gets it. When you feel isolated, Jesus understands. And so Luke 9 tells us what God did for Jesus. In Luke 9, verses 30 and 31, it says, And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. What's happening here? Man, I, I think what's happening is that, Jesus, is that Jesus is struggling. He's isolated, he's alone. And so God, loving Jesus, God brings the two people in human history who could best relate to him. It's like God realizes Jesus needs community. His disciples have abandoned him. His disciples are not with him. They've rejected him in his message about going to Jerusalem to die. And he's like, I need to send someone so that Jesus isn't alone. And he goes, I know, Moses and Elijah, they would be perfect. Or at least they're the best that I have to offer in human history, right? Moses and Elijah both knew what it was like to be alone. They both knew what it was like to feel like you're the only one following God. And so they were the community that Jesus needed. They were the ones who could tell him, Jesus, you're on the right path. Jesus, you're not crazy. Jesus, God will be with you even through what is in front of you. And so the point of all this is that Jesus needed help. Okay, Jesus needed community. And if he needed community, so do we. We could say it like this. Say it like this. We grow in community not because we are sinful. We grow in community because we are human. You need people, not because you're broken. You need people because you're human. And God did not make us to be alone. 
We all need the strength of others. We need the perspective of others. We need the comfort and the responses of other people to be able to find hope and direction in all of the struggles, in all of the pain, in all of the frustration, in dealing with the core of sin that's at the heart of who we are, right? We try to put the gospel into the heart of who we are and it fights against that sin, but that sin sometimes is stronger than the gospel. And in those times, we need other people with us. We need community. And God wants us to live this reality out that we are in this together. And so we grow in community. It's our value because Jesus needed community. If he needed it, so do we. The second thing that I want you to understand is that we grow in community, number two, because the gospel creates the best community. Like the gospel actually creates the best community. Okay, community in the church is not like community outside. It's not like community that's in the world. Um, This value of growing a community, it's directly connected to the value of being gospel-centered. Because we who are centered around the gospel of Jesus, we can do nothing but welcome others and accept others because we have been welcomed and accepted by Jesus. Right? I mean, Jesus accepted us not after we cleaned ourselves up, but with all of our brokenness, with all of our sinfulness, with all of the things that are wrong with us, Jesus says, welcome, I accept you. And so we have to, the gospel calls us to accept others in that same way. The gospel is calling us, we experience the gospel and then we got to share it, right? And so the gospel calls us to share our experience of Jesus with others, And so we need to accept into our family anyone who comes, anyone who commits to Jesus. And then for folks that aren't ready to commit to Jesus, who don't want to commit to Jesus, we're kind and gracious and we're understanding toward them because the gospel that lives at the center of our lives reminds us that we are blessed by God's grace, not by our own goodness. And so this is what the gospel does. It makes this this community that's unlike anything anywhere else. Real love, truly accepting broken and struggling people. This is a community where you don't have to hide your sin or your brokenness. You know, you don't have to wear a sign on on your shirt that says all the sins that you've committed. But like we need to be real and we're invited to be real because none of us are here because we were good enough. To be here is to say, I'm not good enough. To be here is to say, look, spiritually speaking, when I compare to the standard of God, I'm at zero. And one of the first things Jesus ever said in his ministry was, he said, hey, there's a bunch of people out there that are poor in spirit. And if you identify yourself as someone who has nothing spiritually, you are blessed. You're blessed. That is the road into the gospel. The only people who don't want the gospel are people who think they don't need it. They think they're good enough on their own, but we know that we're not. We know that, man, <laughs> we know that, that, like, that God, that we have a God who has seen our sin and doesn't ignore it. We have a God who has heard our confession and doesn't just say, ah, don't worry about it. We have a God who has himself 
taken the punishment for the destruction and the pain and the disintegration and the lostness that our sins have caused to ourselves and to other people. And he loves us anyways. He understands us. He cares about us. And if he's treated us this way, man, everything is different. Y'all, everything is different. We don't have to put on airs. We don't have to be better than we are. When someone today asks you, how are you doing? I mean, you know, if they're just saying, how are you doing? Because they don't really want to know. They're just trying to say hi. Then you got to obviously abide by social cues. But you can be honest. You can be honest. You can say, you know what? I'm not doing that great today. You can say, you know what? My week was really awful. Sometimes I like to say, well, I'm good now that I'm here. And I got to be honest, like I'll say that here at church. I'll also say that when I'm about to order a blended Reese's mocha at subterranean coffee, you know, so, cause that also gives me joy. Um, but you get it right. Like, so you can be honest. You can be honest. That was kind of a distraction. Sorry about that. Um, so everything is different when you've received God, like when, you, when you've understood that God loves you this way. So we see everything differently. We see the world differently. We see the brokenness in other people differently. And so this is the community that we're trying to grow with. It's the community centered on the gospel because through the gospel, Jesus creates a family of grace. As we learn to admit the sin that's at the core of who we are, we experience more of Jesus's grace and forgiveness, more of his understanding. And so we're like, oh my goodness, Jesus, you still love me after this? Jesus, it's been 30 years that I've been following you. I'm still struggling with this. You still love me. I can't believe it. It's amazing. So how could I treat you any differently? I mean, a major key to cultivating this kind of community is for people to find loving acceptance with others who admit that they too are broken and flawed. And I just want to remind you, there's a story in John 21 where we see Jesus loving Peter in this way because Peter had utterly failed Jesus. He denied Jesus three times after promising he'd never do that, after saying, Jesus, I'll die for you. I'll never deny you. And then he did three times, just hours later. But in John 21, Jesus came to restore him back to the family because this is how the gospel creates the best community. And we're just gonna look at one verse, John 21, verse 17. It says, Jesus said to Peter the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And in this, Jesus does two things. First, Jesus gives Peter a do-over, right? He asked him three times so that Peter could undo his denial three times, right? So he does that. He gives him another chance. But then also Jesus says, feed my sheep. And what he's saying there is, Peter, now you understand grace. Now you understand that you're not good enough, that you haven't been good enough, that you never will be good enough. But because you realize that and you are leaning on me for grace, now 
you are ready to lead. Like, I want you now leading in my church because I don't want my church full of people that think they got it. I want my church full of people who know they need grace. And so Jesus says to Peter, now you're ready. Now feed my sheep. And so we grow in community. We can't do this alone. We aren't made to do this alone. We need to be in community to live this out. We need a safe place so that we can receive from God outside of ourselves, right? There are things that God will not give you. There are blessings that God will not let you experience apart from community, okay? You have every blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Some of those blessings though that come from God that you own because you have the gospel will not manifest themselves in your life apart from community. So we need to grow in community. We need a place that will make it safe for us to be honest and a place that will challenge us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, right? We need a community that will challenge us to a greater understanding of the gospel and a greater way to put the gospel into the center of our faith and our lives. We need a community that will challenge us to do our part to equip the family. And so it's the same thing as Jesus with Peter. In one sense, the community makes you feel loved and accepted, In another sense, though, the community is your opportunity to then help others. So you show up to get get, and you show up to give. And so Galatians 6.2, this is at the bottom of the verses in your bulletin. Uh, Galatians 6.1 and 2 says this, um, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. I love this, right? This is just what Jesus did with Peter, right? When someone stepped out of line, when someone's not following Jesus, when someone is rebelling against what God wants for them in their lives, you want to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. And then it says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. In verse two, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so again, in this, there is grace and acceptance and there's also direction, right? There's guidance and there's strength that's offered to those who receive help so that they too can become strong. And so the help that the church offers the help that the church, like the leadership of the church offers, but the help that you will offer each other. It's designed to help in a way that enables everyone to bear their own load. So I only gave you verses one and two in the bulletin. Verse five in Galatians six, I was like, wait, where's the word bear your own load? Like it actually says the opposite. It says bear one another's burdens in verse two. So I'm like arguing with myself, Stephen, what are you saying? I'm like, but wait, it's in there. Verse five, sorry. Verse five of Galatians six says, for each one will have to bear his own load. Okay, so here's the kind of the joy and the wisdom of the Bible is that the goal is that everyone would be strong enough to do their part and that everyone would have a part to do. 
So the idea is that we all commit to being part of the solution. So we all want to help. We all want to um, use our gifts to be a blessing to other people. And so I just want to ask you, like, here's the bottom line question. Do you have these relationships in your life? Do you have your 12? Do you have your three? Do you have a community of people that you're living life with? Do you have a few that you are being real with? Well, let's take action. So three ways to take action today on this. First, get in a life group. So first action, get in a life group. I mean, this is one of the best places to meet people in the church and to cultivate these kinds of relationships. Life groups are designed to be able to share, to interact with each other, to encourage each other. In some ways, our life groups are the place where the church is most fully present in any one place. People are there caring for each other. They're with each other. And so get in a life group. Second, get real regularly with a few others. Okay, this is your three. So life groups, your 12, this is your three. You need to get real regularly with a few others. You got to have people, if there is anything going on in your life that someone else doesn't know about, that's a danger sign. Everything that you're dealing with, someone in your life should know about it. There was a point in time where, um, like, I'm trying to think like when we did this, like five or six years in, where I went to the elders and I just said, hey, I want one of you to be, to know that it's your job to make sure I'm okay. And so Jim Hopkins uh, didn't volunteer, but I asked him to do it. And, um, and so, yeah, so Jim is one of the people in my life that knows what's going on, where I get real with him regularly. He's not the only one. He's not the only one. Um, and I need to tell you like how important this is. Um, I've been walking with Jesus for 30 years. I'm now a pastor. I now help other people on their spiritual journeys. This is what I do with most of the time in my life. And I need to tell you that early on when I started following Jesus, I almost left the church. I was frustrated. I got misunderstood. I can tell you the story later, but like I was like, I, I was ready to leave. I just wasn't going to go back. And someone said, like, why do you care what they think? One of my best friends said, why do you care what they think? You're not there for them. And because he said that to me, I went back. Do you have someone in your life who knows what you're struggling with? You need someone. You, you shouldn't be alone with your struggles. I've had so many ups and downs in my own life following Jesus, and there have been times where I've had to go to people in my close network, you know, part of my three and I've had to say to them, listen, with what I'm going through right now, I need to tell you that it is your job to call me at least weekly 
and ask me how I'm doing. Like, I need you to do that because if you don't, I don't trust myself. You need to get real regularly with a few others. It's because of that circle of people that I'm standing here today. It's because of that circle of people that my circumstances didn't overwhelm me, but I was able to stay in the ark when the flood hit. And I was able to stay afloat. And not just stay afloat, but I was able to see Jesus in the midst of all of my pain and suffering. And so, and, and I know that this will look different. Some people are, are, are extroverted. They're people, people. It's really easy for you to share. And for some of you, it's like super difficult to share. Sometimes um, for some people, um, having someone in your life just means like someone that you, I mean, that, where you like, you work on the car together, you know, where you're there and you're doing like grunt kind of stuff, but you're doing it together. And in the midst of that activity, you're sharing how things are going, you know? So this looks different. It looks a lot different for different people based on your personality, but you need to pursue this. And if you don't have this yet, I'd encourage you, I mean, pray, God, who in my life could be this for me? And then join a life group because that's a good place to get to know some people and to learn about spiritual friendships. In a life group, one of those relationships might, uh, might turn into something like that. So get in a life group, get real regularly with a few others. And then the last thing is just support the church financially. So I know that feels maybe like a, a non sequitur, but it's not. Like the reason why we are the community that we are is because of your faithful giving. And so I just want to remind you that when you give to our church, when you give to our church, you are helping us be this community. You're helping us be this for each other because you are helping fund all of the leadership. You're helping fund all like the, the facility that we have and where the ministry happens. You're helping fund all of the activities that provide leadership for our life groups. It, it all like flows down. And so when you give, you're participating in making us this community. And so, I mean, you hear, uh, normally Chad does these giving talks afterwards, but like, you know, we have envelopes. If you give here, if you give online, you can go to our website, you can give that way as well. Um, if you have questions about how to give, please just come and talk to someone on staff and we'll help you walk through that process. And so, but the point of all of this is that we are the family of God and we become more and more better expressions of the family of God as we grow in community. And so, man, welcome to the family. Realize this is who we are. This is the inheritance that God has given us. And let's walk in this together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel and how it informs and produces this kind of community. Uh, Lord, we just want to take a minute and apologize to you. God, we're sorry for the ways that we neglect community. We're sorry for not being this kind of welcoming, loving community to others. It's true, God. There are times when 
I mean, all of us have friends in our lives who aren't part of the church who say, well, the reason I'm not part of the church is because there's, the Christians aren't welcoming. They're not, they're judgmental. God, we have been those people. And so please forgive us and renew us so that we would be this understanding, this accepting, this loving, because we've received this from you. Strengthen us and grow our church community. And for those who are here and they don't know you yet, they aren't walking with you, would you help them experience your grace, both from you through the gospel, but also through this community, so that people would be loved into your family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.